Well, good morning. It is so good to see uh, all of you here. And uh, this morning, um, I'm going to do kind of a standalone uh, sermon here. It's not a part of uh, uh, any series that we're doing right now. And it's this topic uh, that I try to come back to at least once every few years, because it's a topic that I think is uh, really important. I get asked questions about it on a, on a semi-regular basis, and it has to do with this idea of the fear of God, the fear of God. Um, and people are just like, like, what do I do with the fear of God? What does that mean uh, in this? And in particular, how does it relate to the idea of the love of God? And uh, people will find all of these different verses in the Bible, and they, and they it's like, I don't know how to match these up or make these uh, work. So this morning, what I want to do is talk about this. What, what's this relationship between the fear of God and the love of God? And let me give you an example of just uh, some of the verses uh, here where you can see where there's this kind of tension between the two. Um, I'm going to read you one out of uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. This is found in verse 13, and this would be kind of one of those uh, common uh, verses on this, on the fear side. It says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. And there's this idea about like the fear of God, like it's a needed thing. It's something that, that we need to have. Um, and so people get like, okay, where do we go with that? What does that mean? But then also you find these other passages that it's not like they directly contradict, but it's like, I don't know what to do with this. Let me give you an example of this. Um, and if you want, flip over to this one, because we're, we're going to, I'm going to unpack uh, part of this passage some more. This is in uh, the letter of John, the first letter of John. So if you go to the very back of your Bible, uh, you'll find three little bitty uh, books or letters written by John. And we're going to look at the first one. Um, chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and this is starting with verse 16. He says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And then he says this, just look at the very beginning of verse 18 here. He says, there is no fear in love. And it's like, well, what do I do with this? Like no fear and love thing. And yet there's uh, like all these verses that talk about the fear of God. And uh, there's this tension that kind of gets uh, built in this. And, and this thing about like, how do these relate? And what does this mean here in scripture about all of this? There is a uh, Bruce Springsteen song that kind of captures this tension. How many of you uh, are like fans of Bruce Springsteen? Maybe? few of you, uh, reluctant people are like, well, I, you know. Uh, so he wrote this song. Uh, it's called Cautious Man. Uh, it's kind of this slow ballad. And it's about this guy named Billy who struggles in his relationships. And, and he, he has this great way of framing out what the struggle is that relates to this struggle that I think we have. And, and here's how he puts it. He says, um, uh, Billy on his, let me get, make sure I get it right. Uh, on his right hand, Billy tattooed the word love, and on his left hand was the word fear, right? And so it's this idea of love and fear. And as he goes into every relationship, it's like there's this tension between love and fear. And there's this next long line that uh, captures the tension, at, like how it works out. And it says this, and in which hand he held his fate was never clear. Because there was always this thing where he, he'd want to step closer into uh, a relationship. He talks about this girl that he meets and becomes his wife. But even in this, like there's this tension between the two. And, and in some ways, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen captures this thing about human relationships between love and fear. But it is a tension and a dynamic that plays out in a spiritual sense. Where, we, where it's like as Christians... As it comes to relating to God, it's like sometimes we have love tattooed on one hand and fear on the other. And the fate of where we may be at any moment with God is always unclear. And so there's this tentativeness, there's this, this uneasiness 
in, in like, what does this mean and how we relate uh, to God uh, in this? So here's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to just have fun with this. I, I want us to just be curious about Scripture and look back at Scripture and look at some of these passages and just ask the, the, the basic question, like, like, so God, how do we think about this? What, what's going on in here? And my hope is, is that as we go back and actually unpack this a little bit in Scripture and look at it in a little bit fuller way, um, instead of creating more tension, it'll, it'll actually provide a way that no matter where you are in your journey, your relationship with God, um, it'll pull you forward and pull you forward like in a good way, in a life-giving way, not pulling you back to more attentiveness in, in all of this. So that, that's, my, that's my hope. That's what I want us to do here this morning. So as we look at this, to kind of frame it out, I want to look back at an Old Testament passage, but keep your fingers in First uh, John there, because we're going we're gonna to go back to that and spend more time there. But <clears throat> to set up how I want to just frame this out, what I, what I think you can kind of see in Scripture, I want to go back to an Old Testament passage, this time go back to Proverbs, Proverbs uh, chapter 1, where um, it, again, addresses this whole issue, but it points to something that I think you'll see that frames it out. It says this, verse 7. It says, uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, here's what I want you to notice there. This idea, it's the beginning of something. There's like a progression Right? It's not trying to be the whole thing, but, but there's a progression. There, there's, there's something more to be understood about the fear of the Lord than just you need to have the fear of the Lord right here. There's something more to this. And what I think you see as you look through Scripture, and you could break this down into multiple stages, but for simplicity's sake, I want to look at this at, as four basic stages that you can see in Scripture and understand in a practical way in our own lives, um, that we can move through or understand how it's operating when it comes to how do we relate to God when it comes to like the fear of God or the love of God. So I want you to think about these four stages. And here, here's the first stage that I want to uh, begin with in all of this. And it's really simple. These stages, as we look at them, you're going to know these are really simple, okay? But I hope it's meaningful for you. The first stage is simply uh, no fear, right? No fear. There's no fear of God. There's no love of God either. It's just, it's neither fear nor love in this. And uh, when somebody is in this stage, remember, this isn't that they have no fear of anything. This is this is no fear of God because we all have fears. We're all going to deal with fears. It's just for people at this stage, uh, their fear is going to drive them in a different way. Their fear drives them to being more callous with God, less curious about God. Like, like they don't care about those things. But it also uh, has a tendency to drive them towards uh, maybe being more selfish, right? Because there's no fear there. There's no worry about those things. And, and so it's easy to become selfish in those things. Or it drives them uh, towards being fools about spiritual things. It can even drive them towards being fools about ordinary things as well, because there's just, there's no fear, there's no love, neither are guiding them uh, in these things. A uh, great example of this, uh, and I came across this article uh, a long time ago, I've hung on to it because, I don't know, in a weird way, it makes me laugh, I don't know if it'll make you laugh, but, but it illustrates this point uh, really well. Um, it's about uh, uh, a player from years back on the New England Patriots, and here's the article, this is the quote from the article. Um, out of a Chicago newspaper. Uh, New England defensive linebacker Bruce Walker sustained a stab wound in his chest while he and a friend were throwing a steak knife at each other on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I, I know y'all are like, ooh, and I'm like laughing. I know it's kind of, uh, but follow me with this, okay? Um, uh, police said Walker was injured when he missed a catch. Yeah, so now you know what's going on. They're playing catch with steak knives, right? <clears throat> Police said Walker was injured when he missed a catch. Uh, he inquired, uh, it, it required several stitches. Police added, sorry, Police added that Walker provided few details about the incident. <laughs> sure, 
what could the details have been, right? So think about this. Well, yeah, I was with my buddy over at my house, and we were like, let's play catch. Where's your football? Oh, I don't know, but I've got these steak knives. Hey, let's play catch with the steak knives, right? See, at that moment, Mr. Fear would have been their friend, right? <laughs> Mr. Brains would have been their fear at that moment, right? Um, so when, you know, if, if you're ever over at your friend's house and one of your friends says, want to play catch? I've got these steak knives. And you get like a twinge of like, ooh, I, I, don't, I don't. See, we say that little anxiety that you felt there, that's the beginning of steak knife wisdom. Yeah, don't play catch with them, right? But of course, that's only the beginning of steak knife wisdom, right? right? We don't go out and buy steak knives so that we go, I'm buying these steak knives so that we won't play catch with them, right? See, not playing catch with them is the beginning of wisdom, right? There is wisdom about steak knives and other wise things that you can do with them that are important and ongoing. But the beginning is... Just don't throw them at people that you like, right? Don't, don't play catch with them, right? That, so do, do you see the idea here of what, like, there's these passages in the Bible, and they're saying, okay, there's a, there's, there's a kind of fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of something uh, in here. Uh, the psalmist uh, uh, says here in Psalms uh, 111 verse 10 describes this in a very similar way slightly uh, different points out something I want you to see here. it says uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom all who follow his precepts have good understanding right so in other words there is a kind of understanding that comes right to have the fear of God is there's a progression notice it doesn't just stay at the fear uh, level there, right? It, fear is the beginning of wisdom. And then, it, and then there's this progression where the fear maybe goes away and there's a kind of understanding that comes in place of this, right? And, and in the same way, spiritually, what if there's a kind of fear of God that, that has something good to offer? It, it, there's a beginning place with it. It, it does something good. And in a spiritual sense, here's an illustration of it from a spiritual sense. And it's with, uh, with the old, old hymn, Amazing Grace, this beautiful hymn. It's, it's probably my favorite uh, hymn, Amazing Grace. Um, but there's a line in it uh, that oftentimes uh, is like, well, that's kind of a strange line uh, in here. And here's the line. It's, it's this. Um, uh, Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Right? It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And at first glance, you might go, well, that's kind of a weird thing to put in a hymn, that grace taught my heart to fear. Until you come to understand John Newton's story. John Newton is the one that wrote this. Um, uh, he was born back in the early 1700s, I think 1725. And he followed in his father's footsteps. He became a sea captain. Uh, and became deeply involved in the slave trade. And in doing so, he, like, he had no qualms about treating people in ruthless and terrible ways in the buying and selling of human beings. And then through a series of events, this, this relatively slow transition started to happen in John Newton's life. Um, and he became a follower of Christ. And it wasn't until later on in his life he wrote uh, Amazing Grace, I think first as a poem and then as a hymn, reflecting back on what happened. And you understand, for John Newton, the worst thing that could happen in his life looking back was, was uh, not that he would be filled with fear or anxiety or guilt over something. It's that he could have gone on in life and remained numb and never felt remorse at all for what he was doing. And so he looks back and he goes, yeah, I, I experienced fear over the realization of what I was doing with my life. But that was the beginning of something. And, and I look back on it now and he goes, and that was grace. Because it gave me understanding of something deeper. See, there's... There, 
And maybe you can relate to that. Now, if you're really at this first stage, you're probably not here this morning, right? Because you don't care. Like, like, you're not looking for that sort of thing. But, and maybe you are. And if you are, man, hats off to you for, for starting a journey, for even being curious to listen to this or to be here. But I bet most of us can relate at some moment where, where there was something, where there was a kind of fear that opened us up to something. And you'd say that was the beginning of becoming wiser, wiser spiritually, um, wiser in my life. Maybe it was a kind of fear that you realized, you know what, I am treating my friends in a way that could be hurtful or harmful, or it is like not, like, like I would worry that, that I would continue to just be so cavalier with how I would treat somebody. And, and you think back and you just go, I remember experiencing that and that, that became the wisdom, the beginning wisdom of how to be a better friend, a better partner, a better person in life, right? And so uh, it takes us uh, really to this next stage, right? So, uh, and when you think about um, how we relate to God, it maybe starts at this stage of, of no fear, but then it goes to this place of having fear, you do have the fear of God. You begin thinking in these terms. And so as you kind of enter that stage, uh, like there would be good things, wise things that you'll benefit from that. But there's something that happens. As, as human beings, as we stay in that place where, where the primary way we think and understand God is out of the fear of God, uh, we tend to think primarily in terms of um, how, do I, how do I obey God? Yeah, everything becomes about obedience. Now, obeying God, like we'd say, that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. But there's something about this stage that continues to focus in on this, um, begins to see God and the priorities of God that it's, it sees the, this idea that, like, what is the most important thing to God? And in this stage, the thing that begins to formulate is we begin to think, I think the, the absolute top priority for God is that people just stop sinning. I read verses in scripture and it talks about God hates sin. I look at the damage that sin does. And, and I think, I believe that the number one top thing that God is after in this world is for human beings to just stop sinning. And you're motivated to stop sinning. You're motivated to obey God. But understand that like in this stage, the thing, the, the, the motive for why to obey is primarily um, you worry, you're, right? The fear over this is what God will do or not do based on your obedience. What will God withhold if I don't obey? What would God do to me discipline me, punish me. Like, what, what, what would God do in my life if I don't obey? And that becomes the primary motive for, for how you relate to God, how you see your spiritual journey, how you interact in this. And I'm sure that there are a number of you here this morning, and, and, you, and if you were, you know, in just being honest, I, I'm sure that there are several of us here uh, that would go, gosh, that, I, I probably am in that place most often in and, and if that's true, you probably get a lot of compliance to God, right? Because you spend a lot of energy and effort on that. But there's also this sense that I would imagine that the vast majority of, of how you experience life or God, like it's not warm fuzzies, right? It, it's, there's a negative side to it. It's because everything's based on what will God do to me or what will God withhold from me on on this. It's like if you're driving down the road and, uh, and you look at the rear view mirror and you see blinking red and, you know, blue flashing lights, you know, that happened to anyone recently. I bet the first, I bet you had a sensation in your stomach, right? But I bet it wasn't a warm, fuzzy feeling. I bet you weren't like, oh, they noticed me, right? Probably not. It was probably like a, oh, right? That's probably what it was. So John, right? And this is where I want you to flip back to John, and we're going to start looking at this passage in John. John tells us exactly why. Um, look back at, uh, look at uh, 
Let me find it here. Uh, look at John. I just lost my place. Sorry. John 4. Thank you. Verse 18. Look at the middle of verse 18. Look at the middle of verse 18. It says this. Because fear has to do with what? Punishment. Yeah. That's why when you see the red and blue lights, you don't go, oh, right? Because, and, and in the same way at a spiritual level, every, everything gets centered around that. Now, what's interesting here is John explains this to us. He says, because fear has to do with punishment, right? And this is a passage we read at the very beginning of the message here. Um, in, in how he writes this, it's hard to capture in the English, but, but it holds this really uh, profound nuance. What he's saying here is fear has to do with punishment, but in two ways, right? Fear has to do with punishment that we, that we experience because, right, there's the, there's the fear of if this happens, there's punishment with that. But it's also, there is a kind of punishment that just comes with fear regardless of the outcome. You can fear something and it not come true. Whew. But in fearing over it, it's like there was anxiety. There was a kind of punishment you experienced in just the fear itself. And that's kind of what he's pointing to in this. He, he say, it's like fear has to do with punishment. There's a self-punishing thing that happens just to when we live in fear. This happens. Um, there is a British uh, movie, an uh, a, a old British movie, a comedy, that captures this. Uh, even at a spiritual level. How many of you like, like British humor? It's a few, okay, a few of you. So the rest of you, don't go watch this movie because you'll hate it. It'll be punishing for you to watch this movie. But if you like British humor, you might like this. It's not as good as Monty Python, but, but it's, in a, it's an interesting movie. It's called Cold Comfort Farm. And it's this, uh, uh, just this British movie and it has all this humor around a spiritual life of a whole community of people that are stuck kind of in this fear of God's stage. And it's about this uh, young woman and she goes to visit uh, her uncle who lives in this little bitty uh, 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 town in England. And everyone in this little town goes to this one little church that belongs to this little bitty denomination. And the name of the denomination is the Quivering Brethren. The Quivering Brethren. Because... And it describes them perfectly. They just live in quivering fear. Just, they're always like, or just constantly, right? Just, just everything. And so as she goes to visit her uncle, right? He'll go and counsel someone. And when he counsels them, it's always fear-based. It's just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just, you know what God would want to do with you? And they're just like, you know, and he preaches sermons and he preaches about how mad God is. And they're like, and how angry he is. And he's got this one illustration and he's, he's preaching away. And he's like, um, have you ever, have you ever, burned your hand on the stove, right? And everyone's like, <laughs> you know, they just quiver away, right? And apparently putting butter on a burn in England is a thing to, to help because his next part of the illustration, he goes, and, if, and, and you know how you put butter on the burn? Everyone's like, <laughs> and then I love this line. He goes, well, there's no butter in hell. And then everyone's just like, ah! And they're just like beside, they just quiver away, right? They're the quivering brother, right? Um, she goes into her uncle's house and he's got this little, I think it's called cross stitch, you know, where you sew the things and you make like the pretty little saying. And, you know, most people, they have a cross stitch in their home. It says something like, home sweet home, right? You know, uh, you, know uh, you invite someone in the house and, oh, home sweet home. Or maybe, you know, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, right? You go into her uncle's house and it is, the wages of sin is death, right? And big life, just like, welcome in, right? They sing this song. Their favorite song, I think, is, uh, how does it go? It goes, um, the world will burn, but we'll quiver. And then they say, we'll quiver, and they all go, right? It's just, it's, and, and what you see is they are a very obedient bunch of people, right? They, they uh, when it comes to how they live out their faith, high levels of obedience, because they live in a lot of fear. Because, let me ask you, can you get conformity? Can you get obedience out of fear? Yeah, you can. 
but they're a pretty miserable bunch too. Like in all of their obedience, their fear is induced this self-punishing kind of fear. And part of it comes with this notion that they have of God, right? They have this notion that what God wants most or what he's looking for is a kind of quiver factor. Will you fear me? Will you fear me enough to obey me? But in the end, like, it, it holds them back. And, and I really mean this sincerely. I, I mean, I've joked about this a little bit. But, but and I know that for some of you, even right now, you're like, okay, but Glenn, I hear you on that. And I love love. I, I, again, I read it in the Bible. But I see those verses about God hates sin. I see all of those verses about the fear of God. And, it, and I come to the conclusion that the thing that God wants, like his top priority, is that human beings would just not sin. And I get that. But I want you to, like, think about this. I, I just want to offer you something to think about in this that maybe will move you in a way that you'll find that God is in in this. Um, it, when you think about God and his glory, his power, what he can do. You know, do you think that God in his um, unmasked, unvarnished, unhidden glory and power could get conformity from you or from anyone in that matter? If God showed up, if God, you know, threw on the red and blue lights in the rearview mirror of any human being, in, in the brilliance of his glory, do you think out of that he could get conformity? Yeah. I, I, the, the power of God, I, I just drop you to your knees. So if that's true, here's, my, here's the question I want you to ponder. Why doesn't he do that? If the most important thing to God is that people just obey and stop sinning, why why wouldn't he just hit the red and blue lights? Because he could get it like that, but he doesn't. And I think John points to something. I want you to look back at this passage. Look at the end of verse 18, because I think he gives us insight into why God doesn't do that. Look at this. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You can have all the conformity in the world that comes from fear of God. But in getting conformity, what you don't get is a mature kind of love. That, the, in fact, the, the Greek word there for uh, made perfect in love, that word perfect, some of you have uh, made complete, others have the idea of, of made mature. It's this, there's this very mature, uh, complete or perfect kind of love. And you can't get that when the conformity comes through fear. What if God actually values and is seeking some? Sin is a problem, right? And, and, and we must wrestle with it. We, like, it's something to deal with. But what if there's a higher priority that God is after? Right? I, like, I think John is pointing uh, to that, that there, there's something beyond just fearing God in this. Albeit fear can do some things to so create some change in our life that may good, may be good, which leads to this next stage that I think we experience. And this is now fear and love. We, we live in this space of fear and love of, of God. Um, it's, it's like we, we begin to see that like there's something ugly to be stuck in just the fear of God. And so we reach out uh, and we try and live by the fear and the love of God. And, and when we live in this space, what we oftentimes experience in our spiritual lives is kind of this tug of war. We, we experience this uh, being drawn towards God because there's something about love that draws us uh, to him. But then we find these moments where, where we feel a little bit repelled, maybe not from God, but we, we just, we feel distracted 
distracted. We, like, we don't want to be a part of it. We feel apathetic or, or, or maybe we want to hide. And we go through this thing where we're pulled close and then we, we kind of push away and we're pulled close and we push away. And, and that kind of captures this, this whole thing that happens when we live out of fear and love of God. There's an illustration of this that I think you see uh, with the Israelites. There's this time uh, when the Israelites are rescued by God out of Egypt, right? This is right on this, I'm going to share a little bit of a story with you that happens right on the heels of them getting out of Egypt. They have watched the mightiness of God. They have watched his glory, his power. They've seen amazing things. They've Probably none of us will get to see in the way they got to see, like the parting of the Red Sea. They love God. Man, he used his power. He rescued them. Like, like, like think of, like they're now willing to follow God out into the desert in this thing. And there comes this moment where God is wanting to deepen the connection with him. In fact, uh, God manifests himself at, on this mountaintop, on Mount Sinai. And God literally invites them to come close to him, to have a closer kind of relationship, actually willing to change the whole dynamic of the kind of relationship that they would have ever understood. It is this beautiful picture of being invited into this. But don't miss this. As they see the manifestation of God on that mountaintop, right? The love that they have because they saw the mightiness of God rescue them is now the same power and awe that scares them on that mountaintop. And it's like, we'll, we'll follow you out of Egypt. We'll come to the mountain. But we're too afraid to go up the mountain to you. Like, uh, it's just, it, you, you see this thing happening. And what's in, what I find fascinating in this story is there's a moment where Moses <clears throat> sees all this happening and he tries to help them. And so Moses sees their fear. He sees their love. He's, and, and here's how he handles it. He does the best he can. He says to the people, he gets up in front of the people and says, listen, don't be afraid, right? Like, because this is the God who loves you. This is the God that pulled you out of Egypt. You know him. He rescued you. He wants good for you things for you. Don't be afraid. But I know you're afraid because you, you, you know what he's capable of. You know how mighty and strong he is. You, you know what he wants, right? So he says this. He says, but with your fear, just let that be like a test. Let that, be, let that be a thing that helps you to not sin anymore, right? So like Moses is trying to grab both of these. Don't be afraid, but, but where you fear, let it be a fear that keeps you from sinning. And as Moses tries to help him, then on the heels of that comes one of the saddest verses, I think, in all of Scripture, right? It breaks your heart because there's this group of people that have been rescued out of slavery. They have just, they have followed God with such faith out into the desert. They have watched God do beautiful things. And then it's this verse. And the people stayed at a distance. Like, they've been invited to, to go to, to come up to the mountain with God but they remain at a distance, see? That's, that's the tension of faith and love and where it goes. And friends, I had just, my experience, more evangelical followers of Christ in our culture, in our day and age, I think find ourselves stuck in this stage more than any other stage. We wrestle with those passages of Scripture. We, we live in this kind of tension there. But it is a tension that at the end of the day never gets us to the place that our hearts really long and that I think that God is inviting us to. It keeps us in this relational place that actually becomes unhealthy and more and more unhealthy over time as we, as we remain in that place. Um, <clears throat> illustration of how I saw this played out relationally uh, with a family. I was studying, uh, there was this uh, old 50s diner that I used to study at, uh, work on messages, and I was sitting in there one day, and a family came in, a family, a mom and a dad, and three young uh, kids came and sat down, and you could tell the kids were kind of 
uh, excited and, you know, and they were like, they were going to get a Coke and, you know, so they each like ordered a Coke and they were talking, you know, going through everything and there's just, and, you know, and there's fun music playing and they're all excited about this thing. But just as you could see, like the excitement and, and this was obviously a family that loved each other, right? Like they came in and, you know, just all of that. There was, there was this tension that just started to become palpable really quick in all of this. And, and it started with the dad and how he related to his kids. And it was kind of this constant thing of how they needed to behave. And, and he had kind of an intensity to it. And it was just like, okay, do, do, you know, don't horse around to it. If you horse around to it, you're not going to get a dessert. It was just kind of, it was, it was all conditional right? You need to behave a certain way or there'll be this consequence. You, you know, I'll take your Coke away. You know, you, I won't let you finish it if you do this and you just, and he was just keeping the, like he was monitoring and, and kind of clamping down with the behavior. And you could just tell these kids, you know, were just kind of in and out of this kind of excitement thing. And then like, okay, like I, like I got to get it clamped down. I got to do the right thing. And just kind of this back and forth thing. And the truth is, um, I, I would have never remembered this story. Like it, I, it would have been, it would have fallen out of my memory except for what happened next. Right after the food was delivered, this, the oldest boy, still very young boy, was sitting on the outside of the booth right next to his dad. And somewhere in there, he accidentally bumps his dad's glass of Coke and knocks that glass of Coke over and it spills straight into his dad's plate of food, his burger and fries and stuff. And Coke goes everywhere, but it just doused the burger. And I mean like this, at the, the intensity of what happened at that little booth and how that dad reacted and his anger and displeasure and the demands and just uh, you, the kids just, just recoiled in fear. And yet at the same time, were doing everything they could to please their dad. They're desperately trying to clean it up and do what he's saying, and he's berating them in this moment. And I just watched these kids, especially this one little boy, is he's simultaneously trying to please the man that he loves, his own father, this felt need. I need this man to be pleased with me in this moment. And yet, in the same time, just overwhelmed with this kind of fear. And I'll never forget, there became a moment where the, where the dad just like kept the pressure on. And this kid just involuntarily, to, like his, to his own consciousness almost, jumped out of that booth and actually like walked over like four or five feet. He was actually closer to my booth over by me than he was to where his dad was. It's just like he just couldn't take it. And his dad turned and demanded, you come back here right now. And, the, and I just saw the terror on this kid. And he took a couple steps towards that booth and then he just froze. Like, it just, and I watched that happen. And it was just, it was this love, fear thing playing out. And it just becomes so unhealthy. Because it warps a person's sense of what love is really about. Like what broke my heart, what made me angry, what had me, I didn't know what to do in this moment. Like I was undone in this uh, moment. It's because something got warped about love in that moment. When we continue to live in both the fear of and the love of God, the fear part always ends up distorting our view of love so that we constant re constantly rely on what we must do to try and find that love. That's what happens when you try and live in both. Fear it becomes this distortion thing with love. And ultimately, ultimately, we confuse God's love with our effort to have him pleased. And once that happens, once we begin to think that love is really the effort that we must exert to keep God pleased with us, then, then you might as well have love tattooed on one hand and fear tattooed on the other and never have your bearing straight of what's what. See, it's like... It's good that we reach for love, but that can never be the place that it ends. 
And I know for many of you, you're caught in that place. We all get caught in that place. I, I, I think it's the place. But, but finding movement, finding a place to move beyond that becomes so very, very important. And if you feel stuck in that place, I, I want to offer you what I think John works out as, as like a destination space, a, a place where love and fear get worked out in some way. And it's, and it's this. And, and I, I'm going to call it this. I'm going to call it fearless love. Fearless love. In some ways, it, this is even cyclical. It's, it's like we, we, in some ways, we start at a place of no fear. And, and, but there's something, we need the fear of God. We, like there's something that happens there. And, and we go from that to fear and love. But but I think what God is ultimately trying to bring it back to is back to a place of no fear, but that it is totally different than the place that we first started in all of this. Uh, look back at uh, John, at First John chapter four. Look, look back at, uh, and look at how verse 18 starts. This is, this is the deeply insightful part of this. Look at this. He says this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is a kind of love. I'm going to call this a fearless love. It has no place for, for, for fear at all. In fact, he goes on and he says, but perfect love, right, that mature love drives out fear. There's another way of relating to God with fearless love. And again, we will always have fear. We're like, we're, we're human beings. We live in this world. We're, we're going to contend with fear. But instead of engaging it as, as I have to find this kind of balance between love and fear, what if we could step into and understand a relationship with God that is a fearless love of God, that has a way of doing something with our fear that drives it out. Instead of letting fear warp our understanding of love, what if we could have a kind of love that would drive out fear that would harm us? That's what he's getting to in all of this. In fact, he uses the word, uh, the, the Greek word here for uh, drive, to drive out, is the Greek word exbalo. And we get our uh, English word ballistic from this. So when you think about ballistic, like if you've ever, uh, any of you that have a military background or have dealt with firearms or whatever, right, there's this common term, uh, ballistics. And it's about this idea that there's like a kind of propellant that just has this driving force that it can drive a projectile out in a way. It just like, it just drives it away. And it's like what John is saying here is there's a kind of love that is ballistic. It is like this propellant that just, and when it sees fear, it like, it has to push it away. It will propel it, drive it away. It can't stand it. What would it be to find our way into living out of a fearless love with God that would drive that kind of harmful fear away? Like that's what he's getting at. And we've all experienced this kind of love in different degrees, in different ways. Um, there was a time uh, when Angie and I were dating, and I clearly remember this, because I had reached the point where I was just like, I think this is the girl for me. Like, I remember saying, Angie is the woman that I want to marry. I don't, like, I have no desire to date anyone else now. And I remember having this conversation with Angie about, like, I, like, I, I, like, I don't need to, I'm not, I'm not looking to date anyone else. And I was just so excited about this. She was like, well, you know, I, I love you, and I, you know, but I, I think it'd kind of be a good idea if I kept, you know, maybe dated a few other people or something. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> you know, had the quiver factor going. <laughs> yeah right? I was like, okay, I've got some fear over this. I'm in a different place than you, right? And it just, there was kind of this tenuousness in the relationship. I was just like, you know, I, like I'm, you know, it just, we were in different places on this thing. But there came a day after that where Angie and I stood before each other and we looked in each other's eyes and said, you know, for better or for worse, with all of our hearts, with all of our minds. And there was a kind of love that expressed there that just started pushing that other fear away, right? Just the very nature of that love, just 
Like, and right, and we're human beings. There will always be some measure of fear that we have, even in our marriages or at different times or whatever. But we've, right, you've experienced moments. Maybe it was a moment, maybe it was at a low moment, maybe super vulnerable. You felt defeated, exposed, and there was a friend, there was a loved one, and there was someone that met you in that place without judgment and for your best. And all the fears that you held about that vulnerability that you had like just got pushed out because it was someone that just accepted you, cared about you in a way that just drove that fear away. And what, what John is expressing here is, and, and, I, and I'm not going to do this. I actually worked out, there's a whole other sermon, and I'm not going to preach that sermon. I'll save that for another time. But it boils down to this. There is a kind of love that is found in the personage of Jesus Christ. And we read the verse earlier where he literally says, and how we come to experience this love is to know and rely on Jesus Christ and the source of that love and like who he says we are in that. That's where that comes from. So I hope as you think about this, like you, you find this thing like, okay, there's a different way to think about how I engage God when it comes to the fear of God or the relationship between fear and love and how it's talked about in Scripture. And I want to leave you with just a, a quick exercise to practice this. If you want to try and take a step forward, no matter what space you're in in this, is take a step of trusting God to move you forward, especially towards that fearless kind of, of love. Because we live in a world where there's all this conditional stuff that we face, we all face like, uh, what if I fail tomorrow? What if, what if someone else thinks I'm not enough? What if I think I'm not enough? What, what, like, what if I get rejected? What if a boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with me? What, like, we have all these what ifs. But will you do this? Let me give you just a, a, a practical way to live this out, two, two ways. And I want you to think about um, this being Christ, his love, and I want you to think about this in two ways. First, for you. Okay, and as you think about his love for you, tomorrow morning, I'm going to challenge uh, all of us, to, starting tomorrow morning, um, I want you to not walk through your day uh, tomorrow with the idea of looking for all the reasons why you might not be lovable, why you might not be able uh, to live out a fearless kind of love, because you know what? You'll find it. If you look for it, you'll find it. I don't want you to walk through tomorrow and go, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna look for a moment where like there's a failure point why maybe I shouldn't belong to this group of friends or that or whatever. Don't do that because you'll, you'll find it. I don't want you to look for all the reasons why like I don't measure up because of this or that. You'll find, you'll find what you're looking for and it will hold you back. Instead, I wanna challenge you to do the opposite. Even in a small way, find one or two things, right? Go through your day and look for a small moment that God maybe cared for you directly or even indirectly. Even a small, maybe you're just, maybe you're struggling with something and, and, and maybe a friend comes along and has an encouraging word for you. Maybe it's a total stranger that just compliments you on something. You're just like, oh, that just... I like that, right? I, I want you to look for those moments and just wonder, maybe, maybe not, but maybe God orchestrated it. Maybe that was God's way of just loving on you a little bit, encouraging you in a small way. I want you to look um, for uh, how God might do something good within you. Maybe there's a challenge before you and maybe like all of a sudden you're just like, oh my gosh, I just had the best idea ever. I want you to take notice of that and go, Maybe that was God that planted that thought in my mind. Maybe it was God. Maybe you're exhausted right now. What if you get through tomorrow, even exhausted, you find your way, like you barely make it, but you make it through tomorrow. I want you to look at that and go, maybe it was God that gave me just enough to make it through tomorrow. I want you to look at what God, what his love is for you, okay? Find just a couple of things. Then, the other thing I want to challenge us all to do is his love through you. In what way can God do something loving through you, 
right? This is your chance. This is your moment. Maybe there's someone and you can just tell like they're, they're in a bad spot. Take them out for a cup of coffee, right? F- find a way to offer uh, an encouraging word. Look for a moment that there's someone else in their great vulnerability that you could, that you might just easily pass by, maybe say a few uh, nice words, or whatever. Instead, I want you to go, whoa, wait a minute. This is a moment to, this person's being really vulnerable. This is a moment to extend grace and hope. Like, be that. Maybe how can God use you through that? Um, Do this tomorrow and pick one more day during the week to do this, right? So this is my challenge. Find two days that you're deliberately trying to find. A couple of small things that God is loving you with and a couple of small things that you can love others uh, uh, with, like loving, letting God's love flow through you. And then at the end of the week, I want you to just take an inventory and ask yourself, when you look back, do those two, how do those two days stack up overall to the rest of your week? Because here's what I think you'll find. I think that you'll find that you went through those two days and every step was a little bit lighter. Fear diminished a little bit. You actually enjoyed following God a little bit more. There were things that you saw. It actually helped your relationships in little ways that maybe you don't notice until you reflect back on it. Because as you know and rely the fearless love that God is calling you into, I think you'll start to see that it begins pushing this fear away more and more. That's the challenge, friends. Because no one wants to go through their spiritual life metaphorically having fear tattooed on one hand and love on the other and never knowing which will be your destiny in any one day. Why don't you stand? I'm going to close this in in uh, prayer here this morning. And I want to just say this, man, if you're visiting here and this is your first Sunday here, second Sunday here, it is so good to have you. And if I've never had the chance to just shake your hand and welcome you here personally, I'd love to do that. In fact, I'm going to be right over here near that table in the alcove area over there. Just, I just, if I, I would appreciate it if you made your way over there, because I'd love to just welcome you personally. Um, let me close this in prayer here. Father, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you for scripture. And just the more we dig into it, it just, it has new insights and things for us to ponder. And I just pray we'll take uh, what we looked at here this morning and it'll be something that just keeps our minds going and thinking about you and thinking about how we get to engage with you and the beauty of what you have for us. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.